Welcome to the Indie Comics section. Join us as we take you through the pages of some of the best stories and art that's available in the comic book industry. From trivia to book discussions and to interviews, this is Indie Comics. Alrighty, welcome to another episode of Indie Comics. This is Tyler, and I am here with... My name's Matt Hawkins. Woo! Matt Hawkins from Top Cow. And this month we have picked Think Tank, and I'm very excited to read it. And uh, first off, how are you today? I'm doing well. This is a great show. I'm glad to glad to see you guys here. Thanks for coming out. Of course, yeah. That's uh, we're actually doing this at the. Uh, oh my God, I forget what it's called. Comic Con Revolution. Comic Con Revolution. Yeah, I almost Ontario, said California. I almost said Comic Excitement, which was in January, <laughs> and a completely different thing. Um, cool. Uh, let's start off with what what is Think Tank about? Uh, Think Tank is about a guy named Doc, David Lauren, who was a child prodigy who uh, was sort of sucked into the military-industrial complex to develop weapons through DARPA and through the NSA uh, at a very early age, at age 14. He didn't realize at age 14 that uh, he was signing a contract for life. Oh, man. You know, he was a very smart guy, but didn't have the, uh, sort of the emotional ability to understand kind of what was happening. So He didn't what, read the, uh, the iTunes, the iTunes, like, yes, uh, the user agreement, agreement yeah. <laughs> so flash forward 14 years, he's 28 now, and uh, he's been doing this for a while, and uh, he wants to quit. Yeah. So he's like, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, so he goes to basically the people he's working for and says, I want to quit. I don't want to do this anymore. And they say, you know, fuck you. you we own your ass. <laughs> and uh, you're too important. And a lot of this is based on... Uh, Real research that I've done and some scientists I've talked to. Oh, wow. One of the things you don't realize is a lot of these young kids are recruited the same way athletes are, where they're hit up really, really young yeah. to go into this kind of a work. You don't hear about it as often because it's not as sexy, because it's, you know, it's not Shaq <laughs> Duncan. You know, it's just this kid who gets sucked into this military like the, world. Like the chess club people are being like... <laughs> yeah. yeah, they don't, they don't make the news. Yeah, yeah, they right. don't make the uh, sports page. I'm a sponsor um, chess player. <laughs> okay? <laughs> yeah, no, he, if, you're, if you're a sponsor chess player, good for you. He's, anyway. he's, got, he's good at game theory and may save our lives, but yeah. uh, you never know. But, uh, no, so they, they recruit these guys really young. They end up uh, doing this work. And when, once you get past a certain point where you're developing uh, stuff that has top-secret clearance, yeah. um, you're, basically your life is kind of over. Because, uh, <laughs> no, and, and this is, and there is actually some proof that they're at Fort Meade, they have, like, a retirement community for some of these old scientists. Yeah. And, and you think about it, if, if, like, a drone crashes and someone gets it and they try to reverse engineer it, that's bad. But usually that <laughs> technology is 10, 15 years old by the time it's in use. Yeah. What's worse? Kidnapping and, and, and getting the guy that makes the next generation of stuff and, and uh, knows what's going on now. Most times you see stuff that's in the air or stuff that's being used. It's 15-year-old technology yeah. at best. You know? So True. you know a lot of the stuff these guys that are working on, that's why I love think tanks. When you walk into a think tank, you feel like you're walking into the future because everything is different. It's, it's pretty amazing. It's yeah. like walking into the Jetsons. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, but like... You know, you're building a new world for you know for you in the comic. Like, you know, what, how do you how do you figure out the tone and just you know how to kind of do the world building itself? Well, the world building I think comes uh, at the core of it is like well that's 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 what I call the iceberg thing. Yeah. You know, you need to know 100% of what the story in the world is about, but you only really need to show 10% of it to the the reader. If you overwhelm the reader with uh, too much world building and not enough character that they care about. Uh, you're going to lose them. And yeah. that's why you see a lot of movies that have a lot of spectacle, but you don't really like, you don't care about. It's fun to watch. But, Avatar. Uh, uh, yeah, lots of, there's a lot. Uh, every Michael Bay film, you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. Transformers. You know, um, there's a lot of spectacle, a lot of cool stuff to watch, but there's no characters that you actually care about at yeah. the end of the day, and you don't think about them for much after you watch them. Um, but, uh, you know, so for me, it's trying to develop a character that's multi-layered. I, I love writing villains. I, I, I think villains yes, are written poorly. Uh, to me, every villain is the hero of his own story. So I always write characters that think they're doing the right thing, even when they're the bad guy. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's hard to do. But uh, it, it's much more gratifying when it comes off because most people that are evil don't see themselves as evil. No, not at you all. Know? I mean, even Hitler, I don't, I don't think he ever saw himself as a bad guy. Nah. You know what I mean? But uh, he was an evil motherfucker. So. Yeah. I think, like, there's only a couple, like, I think Darth Vader's the only one. I think he's just like, I'm, I'm whiny. No, I'm just kidding. Probably not. Uh. Well, and like the Joker. I mean, there's, there's so oh, few yeah. characters like the Joker that are just, they're just evil fucks. Yeah. They know they're evil fucks, yeah. and they don't care. Yeah. They know, like, everything around them. Uh, you know, so what I really want to ask, you're a very, very intelligent person. Like, I love your social media posts. Like, they're, they're so br always brilliant. But um, since since this character is like on a whole new level of like anybody, like we both of us have met, how how do you kind of get in his mindset and write his dialogue? Since he is supposed to be like you know he's a prodigy and he's just 
so intelligent. How do you get in that mindset? Well, it's it's easy to fudge it. If you can if you can fudge it five percent, it yeah. makes it seem like it's one hundred percent. You know, because <laughs> once you're beyond the level that people understand, it, it, they don't know what level of factor that is. Yeah. You know, so uh, I try I try to write it and see the the great thing about David Lauren as a character is I think he is incredibly intelligent, but he's also kind of a dumbass. Yeah. And uh, he has the emotional intelligence of of a teen. You know, he's like a little <laughs> kid emotionally. He yeah. doesn't connect with people. Doesn't know how to talk to people. And and he he is a bit uh, like me and everyone I know that's in the science world. We're all little bit on the spectrum, you know? So whether it's autism, whether it's Asperger's, or whether it's just social awkwardness, yeah. they're all kind of levels of the same thing, you know? I still suffer from dyslexia, where I, I every time I go to a hotel, I, I take a photo of the number on the photo, because I'll always go to 302 instead of 320. I do that every fucking oh, time. Oh, wow. Every time. But I'll, I, and it's, it's, it's just stuff you struggle with, which is always, yeah. uh, but you learn little tricks on how to deal with it. And I write these characters with, with that in mind. And uh, with David Lawrence specifically, um, uh, the science, here's the thing, I know a lot of scientists, you know, I, I went to science, I have a degree in science, and oh, wow. uh, I still, I have a physics degree, and so, um, Holy crap. I went to UCLA, I actually have a master's degree in physics from UCLA. Whoa, you know that? that is so awesome. So, yeah, and I, I, so I, I know a lot of scientists, a lot of the guys I went to school with at UCLA uh, are developing weapon systems, there are people I know that do a lot of uh, so top cool. secret stuff, my dad was an engineer for the military. So um, I grew up in this sort of world on military bases and seeing a lot of this stuff. So I knew a lot of these yeah. smart people and kind of saw how they acted. And if you actually read David's story, it's, it's more about, I always have three stories in Think Tank. There's the technological story, there's the geopolitical story, and there's the relationship emotional story. And those three yeah. will coalesce into the same overarching story arc. And that oh, was so sort cool. of a pattern that I didn't recognize I was doing until the third volume. Oh, wow. I, I can look at it now and say, oh, yeah, that's how I write that character. But I didn't realize that's how I wrote that character until <laughs> after I wrote three volumes of it. That just kind of happened. Yeah, you just, you're just, oh, man, that's so cool. Like, you kind of, you go with it, and then you just say, like, um, oh, wow, like, I, can go to, I can go now to this because I've done all these different things. That's crazy. Right. Um, so in, in the book, you know, he, um, he plays video games, and that's how he gets a lot of his ideas. What about you? Do you do I, that? Yeah, I play video games. I, I'm, I'm a consumer of almost every form of entertainment. I have two teenage nice. sons, and one oh, plays yeah. football, one plays a lot of video games. So I, I, I get to see a lot of stuff uh, vicariously through their eyes. And, uh, you know, I will, about twice a year, I'll pick a video game I want to play. And usually, like, I played uh, Horizon Zero Dawn recently, and I love uh, that game. Yeah, I saw your post. <laughs> love that game. Fantastic game, great story, great gameplay. And then because I had such a good time, I'm like, I want to play another game. So yeah. I bought this game, Prey, which is a piece of shit. Horrible hard game. I've been hearing so many mixed things about this game. Oh my god! <laughs> it is the hard. Here's the thing I say about Prey: If you're a crazy hardcore gamer, you love a crazy challenge, and you like the combat mecha mecha mechanics of these games, you'll probably dig the game. Would David? Would David like it? Oh, that's a really good question. Probably not. <laughs> I, I tend to, of all the characters I write, David tends to have the most personal sort of uh, affiliation with myself directly. Okay. Not the intelligence, but like what he likes and is into yeah. and, and sort of stuff. I, that's the most personal character I write. Nice. Oh, I, li I like that a lot. So how did you get started writing comics? Because now like you have a master's in science, which is amazing. How did you do the jump to, to comics? Because you've been doing it since the early 90s. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was working on my master's degree, on my master's program um, in 93. I was working at a bank to pay my way through school. Uh, I was doing retail banking, which is the most god-awful job that anyone could ever have on the planet. Um, and Why? I, Everybody's I, so happy when they go to the bank. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, and uh, mm -hmm. so I hated what I was doing. Yeah. And uh, I went to a signing in Anaheim at uh, Mile High Comics in uh, April of 93 that Rob Liefeld was doing. And uh, I didn't really know or read comics. My nephew convinced me to take him. He's, oh, okay. he's 13 years younger than me, and he wanted to go. So I took him to this signing. I didn't know who Rob Liefeld was. I waited <laughs> in this long line. Uh, I happened to be uh, standing behind a guy who was, uh, had a portfolio and was excited to show Rob Liefeld his, his art. That guy is now a well-known inker at DC Comics, John Sabal. Oh, okay. Um, and, uh, That's awesome. He spent three hours while we waited in this stupid line telling me how awesome comics was. I learned about Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane and Image Comics and all this stuff. I didn't know, I didn't know who any of these people were. And uh, so when I, by the time I got up to the front of the line, uh, I felt like I had this crash course in comics, even though I never really read them, you know? Yeah. And it's one of those things, when people talk about your origin story of how you got into comics, usually people are lifelong comic fans. So yeah. when they hear my story, they hate me. Um, but uh, <laughs> no, so I met 
I met, so I got up to the, the front of the line and, and John Sabal was right in front of me and he showed Rob Liefeld his artwork and Rob flipped through it and said, I, I love your work, you're hired, jump over the table. So here's this guy who's 20, I saw him vault yeah, over the table. This is the beginning of the whole image. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so man. excited, he was, he was so excited and then I looked and I realized, here were these 12 dudes and there were, you know, it was, it was Rob Liefeld, Eric Stevenson, Rob Michaels, Dan oh. Frega, oh, uh, Richard Ory. Um, Trying to remember who else was there. It was all the early Extreme Studios. Dan Panosian, Art Tiber, yeah. all these guys were standing and the, they were all wearing these black leather Extreme Studios jackets and they had a bunch of cute chicks with them. And I'm like, God damn, my life fucking sucks. You know, I'm yeah, spending right, yeah. you know, 40 hours in school, 40 hours in this goddamn bank dealing with all these assholes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I go home and sleep when I can. You know, I'm not going yeah. out. Um, and so these guys looked like they were having a great time. So I was literally the next guy in line. It's one of those things I always tell people, I said, it seems like there are a few times the universe opens the door for you. Yeah. And whether you choose to take advantage of that and walk through or not is really up to you. Yeah, you got to take chances. You know, you'll never know. I mean, and we took a chance doing this, you know, like, making, like we're going to make a podcast and videos. And it's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I just asked Rob, I said, uh, you know, I don't, I don't draw, but uh, do you looking for anybody to do anything else? He's like, well, we need someone to write press releases and do letters pages. Can you do that kind of stuff? And I'm like, yes. Yeah, right. So I went back uh, immediately following that. He gave me a card, told me to call him. And uh, so I went and bought a book on how to write a press release. I went that night uh, and wrote a press release on the signing that I went to about how I promote it to the local media. I faxed it to him. Uh, he called me the next day and said, hey, can you come in tomorrow? And so I, I came in. He hired me on the spot. Oh, my God. That is awesome. That's so, so cool. And then you got into comics just from, like, writing that and just kept going. And yeah, that's so, so cool. I was in marketing mainly for two years. Then I was in editorial. I, I ran a line of books called Maximum Press, which was Evangeline, uh, Battlestar Galactica, oh. uh, War Child, Cybrid, and uh, I, I did a book called Lady Pendragon that I wrote. The first comic I ever wrote was Lady Pendragon in 1995. Is it available uh, still? Uh, we have, I don't know if we have, yeah, it's, well, we might have the trade. I've done a collected edition, oh, okay. that, uh, but it, it includes the first comic I ever wrote. Uh, it feels to me like it's a different writer. Uh, yeah. I write very differently now. Um, I was very obsessed with sword and sorcery back then, so doing an Arthurian legend seemed like it was a good idea. And uh, <laughs> I was so inundated with science from school and everything I was doing that the idea of writing a comic about science was just, you know, when you're so inundated with something, you kind of get out of it. You don't. Yeah. You know, I, so I didn't really get back into the scientific thought until about five, ten years ago. And but I, I wrote comics until '99, and then I got married, had two kids, got divorced. Uh, and didn't write any comics for 10 years. Whoa. It was uh, from 99. I had no idea about that. Yeah, 99 to 2009, I didn't write a single comic. Huh. I was on the business side of Top Cow. I ran uh, the uh, legal, financial, and uh, film and TV departments for the company. Um, and, uh, and, and I got divorced in 2009, got full custody of my kids, was depressed about all this stuff. And I decided yeah. to write Think Tank to uh, kind of bring myself out of my depression. And I wrote it, and it did well. And I've written two, three hundred books since then. Ah, so yeah. Oh so. my God, I love your writing. It's just, thanks, man. It's so good, and I'm so excited to get back into Think Tank, and like, and now we get to talk about it. Okay, so uh, working with an artist in such a world like this, especially well, with that story, is how did you pick a writer, and how did you kind of convey and work with them? You mean an artist? In artist, uh, yes. On Think Tank? Well, Think Tank happened, um, honestly, because uh, Rasan Ekadal had just done a book for us called Echoes, which okay. he had done with Josh Fialkov. And uh, Rasan, when that book ended, Rasan asked me if there was another project he could work on with Top Cow, and I had already been developing Think Tank. In fact, I had actually started, I had some art from another artist, an oh, Arge okay. Argentinian guy named Vegas, who did a, a, if you ever find the first issue variant cover that has uh, David with brown hair, that's actually the original artist I was going to go with for the oh, series. Oh, wow. But we didn't end up going with him. And then, uh, so I just started working with Rasan on it. It happened to be, he just, he actually just came in and asked me at the right time. <laughs> I, I need something else to do. And I'm like, let's talk about this thing I want to do. And he's like, yeah, that's great. And uh, I can't imagine doing that book with anyone else. That's why I haven't. Yeah. You know, those characters, that book's always been me and him. Yeah. And, and you were very close to it. And so like, you, you know, you saw his art and you're like, this, it, so yeah, essentially this is what I want. Yeah. And uh, would you kind of write things and kind of, you know, see if he, you know, push the limits maybe sometimes like, let's see if he can draw this like in the drawing board or, or like, you know, in the writing, in the writing process, but then he would do it. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I, if you look at my plots and my scripts, I include a lot of photo reference. Yeah. A lot. I mean, most of my, uh, there's a lot of photos, because I, I do a lot of stuff that people don't really know about. Yeah. So um, you need reference of, and particularly when, like, in this new Think Tank volume, I spend more time sending him 
sending him all these photos of the Russian military weapons, what they look like now, than I did of, of the story. <laughs> so he could get all the uniforms in the Estonian army, right, you know? Yeah. And uh, so uh, there's a lot of that, and I think, Rasan, I, I trust the guy now, because we've been working together for seven years straight. Oh, wow. And uh, so and he's been doing so much of my stuff. He and I also did the Tide together. We did a oh, force okay. thing called the Tide that he and I wrote and he drew, uh, which was after the first three volumes of Think Tank, he wanted to do something else. So yeah. we did the Tide together, then we came back and did Think Tank Volume 4 and Volume 5, and uh, he and I are also developing a new thing, a cop drama called The Rook. <laughs> so cool. Love, oh, that's, it's like just a rookie, a guy just completely new into it. Oh, yeah. that's cool. I yeah. like that. I do want to know, who are your literary, oh my gosh, who are your literary uh, influences? Why can't I say that word? What's wrong with me? Most of uh, talking's hard. <laughs> well, I would say most of my literary influences are all science fiction authors. Most of them are yeah. from the '50s to the '70s because uh, I really love Ray Bradbury, Classics. Arthur C. Clarke. Uh, you know, yes. um, just a giant fan of, of those. Arthur C. Clarke has always been my favorite. Asimov is a close second. You know, uh, I read all the stuff they've done multiple times, and uh, you know, I really got into Piers Anthony and Anne McCaffrey, and uh, I, I, I was a, a really voracious reader and read a ton of science fiction. And uh, now I read everything, and I, I, I read a lot of stuff. And I, I, I will sometimes pick up books that I wouldn't normally read just because I want to see if I can read it. Yeah. And I, I, always, I always like different perspectives. It's also why now I challenge myself. Like, the hardest thing I'm writing right now, actually, is this book, Swing. Oh. And it's a, it's a slice-of-life romantic comedy. That's different for Top Cow. That's awesome. Like well, this it's uh, Sunstone. It's a companion book to Sunstone. Oh, okay. Which is our best-selling title of all of Top Cow. Huh. I gotta pick that up. It's uh, it's a basically I jokingly call it Fifty Shades of Gay. It's about two lesbian chicks that are into S and M with each other. Yeah. And uh, but it's a heart. It's a character story. It's about yeah, a relationship yeah. and and the guy who does it, Stephen Sedgwick. Uh, really, that book sold so well for us that uh, I, we wanted to have a companion series because yeah. people though come up and they'd really like this book and I'd say, oh, well I do this Think Tank book and they'd be like, it's so different. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, but writing Think Tank is easy. For so me. him and his wife are like, go ahead. Yeah. That no, so cool. I actually am working on this with his wife. This is Linda Sedgwick. Oh. And Linda Sedgwick is the artist. I'm, uh, I'm writing it with her. Okay. And uh, it's about uh, a couple that have been married for a decade. They're in their early 30s. they got a couple kids. They're bored with life and their marriage, and they're having some rocky times. So they decide to try to use swinging to get uh, some uh, to save their relationship. Oh, okay. So it's like sex positive for a sex subculture, sex positive for a sex subculture. Nice. So similar theme. That is so, so cool. Okay, so you know, you like to challenge yourself. But sometimes it has to be tough. What do you do about writer's block? How do you overcome it? I don't really believe in writer's block. For me, because writing is about rewriting. And uh, if I don't know what to write, it's because I'm just not prepared enough. Oh, wow. Or I haven't had enough time to think about it. So I'll just go write something else. Or I'll write through it. I yeah. mean, uh, I, when people tell me they don't know what to write, I'm like, just write anything. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter if it makes sense. Because here's the thing. A lot of times you just start writing whatever, uh, you'll figure it out. Yeah. And uh, so I usually, when I write the first draft of my scripts or my plots, I'll do it very quickly in under an hour. And, and I'll, oh my God. I'll bang it out. No, for it's, like, it's, but how many issues would you write for that? Uh, no, it's just a single issue. Like, oh, do it wow. like in an okay. hour. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, well, the outlining and the plotting and the advanced thinking sometimes takes years. I yeah, mean, for yeah. me, it's like uh, I, I believe in outlining and I believe in thinking. Like, a lot of these books like, I've been curating, like, I, I actually wrote the first issue of this back in October. Oh, um, Swing? So, yeah, Swing. And Stairway I wrote a year ago. So some of these things, there's long curation processes of development. Yeah, yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So I don't, yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know, did I answer the question? I kind of segued there. No, it's totally fine. <laughs> I love that answer. We, 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 ask, we ask everybody that question. We always get, like, completely different answers, which is why I love. Like, right. um, yeah, I, and the rewriting thing, that's, that's actually really cool. Like, you know, yeah. see, it's like, Writing is rewriting. Yeah. I've never heard that before. So no, it's true. Writing is rewriting, yeah. and so you just write multiple drafts. I write multiple drafts of everything. Yeah, nobody's ever said that before. And I, I love that. I've, that actually is going to help me when I, well, <laughs> when it's just I like, write If now. you come to a point where you can't figure out what to do, because I'll tell you that every writer yeah. knows how to start, knows where they want to end with it. They don't know how to get there. Exactly. That's, like that's 95% AMC. of every story, every writer. I have a beginning, I have an end, but yeah. how do you get there? You know, so, you know. There's multiple ways you can do it, and uh, I, I think writing yourself into a corner is sometimes is a good because it forces. Uh, here's things I've done: I've actually written entire issues, not the one-hour version, but like where I've worked on it for days, and at the end of it, I figured out a better way to do it. And then I, I sit there and I look. I said, "Okay, can, do I have time to rewrite this or not?" And the answer <laughs> sometimes is no, and yeah. then you just go with what you have. And, but if the answer is yes, I do have time to rewrite this, I will take and throw that script away and start over. I've wow. done that many times. 
Oh, and uh, that's purely a function of, uh, of time. And it's not always But you would possible. only throw away like the parts that you would change. You wouldn't throw away the beginning, or would you just completely sometimes, rewrite it? Sometimes, uh, no, sometimes you'll, you'll figure out a better way into it. Like, oh, like the whole, okay. the whole thing, like Symmetry. Uh, I really like this book, Symmetry, that I did. If I would go back and rewrite this, I would actually do it very, very differently. Uh, oh, wow. I'm proud of that book. I think the second volume is actually better than the first. Um, but if I was going to go back and rewrite that story, I would write it with the second volume first and tell the entire first volume story in flashback. Oh, okay. I like flashback stories. I've always, I've always been a fan of it. I just, I think it's, you know, the disjointed thing is just kind of cool. Right. Um, so you live, you, you learn by doing, you know? Yeah, that's true. And what is the future of Think Tank? You know, you're, you're continuously writing. You got the fourth and fifth volume. Right. But what, what's gonna, what's gonna, how is it gonna keep going? Or like well, the fifth volume sort of wraps up the current story he's got going with him and Mira. Uh, I know Rasan wanted to do a Mira story, just a one-off that he's doing with his wife. Oh, which cool. Is, which is gonna happen at some point. I don't know when that'll come out. Uh, but after volume five of Think Tank, he and I are gonna do the Rook, which is the four-issue miniseries. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, so, and, oh, it's a four-issue. Yeah. Uh, it's cool. a self-contained single graphic novel, and then we'll go to back to Think Tank volume six. Awesome. And I already know what I want to do with Think Tank Volume 6, so I, I've already figured that out. That is so cool. You know, I, it's not part of the questions, but I, now I'm, I'm really intrigued. When somebody does a spinoff, now are you going to be a consultant on it, or are you just kind of like let them do their thing? Well, I'll read it, and he and I will have a conversation about what he wants to do, but most of that will be a quick Skype conversation. I mean, okay. he's the co-creator of the property. He developed a lot of these characters. Yeah. You know, he designed a lot of them. He's been integrally involved with me from day one. Yeah. And art, you know, even the art and the movement, like, that that makes you, I mean, there's a lot of character development just right. from that. So Where he'll come and ask me for some help is with the dialogue. Cool. You know, like, he'll, he'll probably write a version of his own dialogue with his wife, and he'll ask me to do a pass on it. Yeah. I probably won't take it as a credited pass. I'll maybe be story editor or something, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that's... That's usually, like, I have Brian Hill work as kind of my story editor because I, I like uh, the notes he gives to me. One of the, the disadvantages of being the guy in charge and, and paying the people that edit you is that they don't often actually tell you what they think. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, so exactly. It's, it, it's, um, I, I found a guy, Brian Hill, who does tell me what he thinks and gives me good notes that I respect. Yeah. And uh, once you find somebody like that as a writer, you gotta you got to hold on to them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's yeah, that's I mean, invaluable. You know, Usually the plotting, on the plotting end, it's usually just a couple phone calls. Okay. So it's, it's, it's before it's written. Yeah. You know, um, very rarely will he give me notes after I've written plots. Um, but then the art will come in, and I'll, I'll do a, po a polish of my script for the final of that, and then I'll send it to him, and he'll give me notes on it. Okay, nice. And uh, that's... And he's, he's a better dialogue guy than I am, so yeah. I, I, I appreciate his feedback. That is so awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, Think Tank is available and trades. It's on Comixology. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's on everything. Uh, support your local comic book shops, and uh, thank you so much, man. Thank you. And there's also on TopCow.com, the first four issues are there for digital PDF for free if you want to try it out. You heard it here. Four issues for free. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. All right. All righty. That was our interview with Matt Hawkins. You can tell it's a little bit quieter in here. Uh, we're back at the HQ. Yes, and we are. Jeff is with me. Yes, Jeff. Jeff how are here. you today? Oh, I am just happy to be here. And uh, gosh, is is it Matt just amazing? He <laughs> is, and he threw me off. And you can probably kind of tell in the interview. I had like all these questions, and I wanted. I try to make every single, you know, interview conversational, but he kept on answering like three questions at a time. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I only have like 14 questions, and like he would answer like three. Well, and I was just like, oh, my gosh. So we went down to five. So then it was just me basically bullshitting with him. Like, OK, thinking of questions, especially at the end. I'm like, I, I don't even I, I don't know what else to ask. Um, so, you know, I started. But at the end, of course, I always ask the same ones. Um, well, you heard it like, you know, the, the uh, um, you know, what you do when you're, you know, writer's block. Just kind of yeah, just exactly. kind of like I was question block right there. Sure. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's. It was a really cool interview. Very great to talk to him. You know, we've known him. Um, you know, he's been around. He's been on a couple of videos, a couple of our old continuations or That's indie right, comics yeah. from uh, the conventions when we used to do that. And I, I love talking to him every single time. But, you know, uh, let's let's talk about the book. So we read Think Tank. This is a couple of days later. And um, well, Jeff, you, well, you read Think Tank. Remember, I read Think Tank almost Three years ago, I now yeah, I, I read the preview a couple of years ago, and yeah. I loved it. And oh yeah, it's one it's one of the best indie books that I think I've ever seen because of the concept behind this character. Who you know, basically he's 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 basically a weapon of war is what he is, and yet he's a mental um, you know he's a genius. Like you can like yeah. if you heard in the interview before this, um, we're not gonna do like the full 
round table where we discuss, you know, what the book is because you've already heard it on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I do want to start off with uh, the fact that um, the comic started in 2011 and it's continued and kind of had delays and stuff like that. Yeah. So we're only reviewing the first volume. Yeah, which comprised four issues in the first trade paperback. Yes. Um, which was a good thing because it really gave a good introduction to Dr. David Lauren and, you know, what he was all about and, you know, who he gets involved with to where he eventually starts having these second thoughts about what he's doing here. Yeah. So um, let's first start off with what did you think about the uh, the volume as a whole? As a whole, it was a good introduction is what it was. And it is definitely something that it's unique and yet it seems relevant to our era right now in which, you know, we see so many, yeah, so, in which we see so many nations trying to, you know, to get the best science possible toward trying to make the new war machine. And things just, you know, happening that, you know, like we're, that could really terrify people. And exactly. one person can cause all this problem. Exactly. And it's very topical right now. And the, um, thi- and the thing is, you know, we always, we're under the impression that, you know, this kind of stuff is usually the savvy and intelligence of the military complex. And actually, you know, often it's it's university graduates. Yeah. It's university graduates that, you know, are that are behind the scenes. They're the true, you know, shall we say, you know, the true masters behind why these things are created. Yeah. And Lauren yes. created so, so much within this story. That's what's amazing about it. And, you know, he doesn't hesitate to tell you, yeah, I made that. I made that. And you know what? I'm proud of it. But at the same time, um, yeah, you know, well, just because I have made it, should I have made it? What do you think about the writing style? Do you think that it fits the, the art and the tone? Of- it, do- it does, actually, because uh, when I if I was if that was written as a novel, if that was just written as a novel and we had nothing to go on, but you know maybe using our own imagination for what Doctor Lauren looked like, or his surroundings, I would have imagined just simply you know <laughs> a, a typical Pentagon type of like a arrangement of rooms and this guy looking no more than like a computer nerd stuck behind his his computer desk. Yeah, um, I, th- I think for me that it works so well on a comic book in a comic book form because well. There's a bunch of um, one thing. It's brilliantly, brilliantly written. The yes. dialogue is phenomenal. I mean, it, it's one of those. It's one of those comics where you are reading. You're reading a lot. There's You're a lot. reading a whole lot. <laughs> There's a lot of reading, especially but, because one thing you have to remember, guys. Matt Hawkins did excessive amounts of research going into this. We're talking like well, an insane amount. Yeah. Uh, well. In, in the interview, you know, he says he has a master's degree in science. This is something yeah. that he's close with. He understands. And like you said, he has friends mm-hmm. that are also, you know, within this kind of realm. So it feels like an adventure. It feels a little embellished. But then also you're just like, you know what? What if this did happen? Because another thing is there's a lot of secrets. And yeah, um, the dialogue goes really well, I think. With one thing, the art style. The art style is very, um, I guess, seriously. Um, you know, it, it kind of comes off as a serious tone. Uh, a lot of detail. Mm. It, it it fits very very well with this comic. And the comic is not really meant to be comedic. It's more about um, kind of grabbing you and yeah. taking you on this technical uh, technical technological adventure. There we go. Jesus Christ. Very much so, yeah. It's technological, but at the same time, I think it is also definitely symbolic of what we're facing in our modern era right now. It is something it that kind of yes. it kind of forces you to think, you know, what's going on here kind of is almost a translation of what we see in our real life right now. And it's scary because this is written way before, and like the stuff that we're talking about is happening. Exactly. So it's terrifying. But what's also good about it is now this is coming back to some issues that we had with uh, earlier comics that we've talked about before. The artwork is also totally black and white in this story too. Yes, there's no, there's no color whatsoever, and yet I think that makes the story all the more powerful. Actually, oh, absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's a throwback. It, it's, it's a more, throwback. Yes, it's one of those throwback sci-fi series. It's um something that I would uh. Compare it to, golly, what would I compare it to? Like, 
like kind of like a more adventurous. I, I don't see. I don't even know how to compare this to something, but it's it it just it's so it feels so classic, even though it's a very very modern tale, which is really. Or are you cool. talking like story wise in general? Or are you talking about the visual right now? V- visual tone and just how the story is like. The I, visual I, definitely reminds me of something that you would see like if somebody was doing a classic movie, yet they redid it totally in like a black and white image. You know, what I would compare this to a good Running Man. That actually is not too far from the truth. <laughs> like <laughs> I would actually, I would, I would very much be willing to say that it is actually a very good, intelligently done running man. <laughs> yeah. So you see it too. I'm not crazy. Oh, I do. No, no, no. I totally see it. Oh there. my gosh. I, I'm gonna. But, ask- the, but the thing is also one thing that I'll compare it to, and I'm sure he's heard this time and time again. You know, let's be honest. You know, with a lot of what David Lauren is all about, there, you kind of see a whole lot of Tony Stark about him too. You kind of, I see a lot of Tony Stark in there too. I don't see that because Tony Stark isn't desperate. I feel like he is desperate. I, I feel like okay. he is. I, I feel like you know Tony Stark obviously was captured and everything like that, and that kind of you know dampered his lifestyle or you know his state of mind. This guy has been captured, and you know since he was fourteen years old, and he's a grown man now. I think. Yeah. I, I don't know who I would really compare him to. Um comic book wise because he's just one of those people who was literally like trapped for year, for half of his life i think well, he's, yeah, he's 28 he, in the comics in the yeah com- yeah he's at late 20s 28 29 and, you I know believe. half of his life you know he was captured so he's True, desperate he's kind of crazy he's but you know he's eccentric but he's he's snarky too you know well the thing is the more you're <laughs> you're actually playing more into my argument that that's tony stark dude i see a whole lot of tony there when you're saying well no what i'm that. saying is he's a little bit more desperate than tony you know, yeah, I could he, see, he, I could see the desperation. He's a little bit more, honestly, he's a little bit more aware of his surroundings than Tony because Tony can plan and Tony can do all this stuff. Yeah, you know what? I would say he's kind of like the middle between Batman and Tony mentally, yeah. mentally, not yeah. physically. Like okay. not, not he doesn't know how to fight. He oh, doesn't, no, no, he doesn't no, know how to be not. a detective, but he he plans like Batman. But yeah. then he also has the snarkiness of of Tony Stark. You know what? Actually, it's almost kind of a shortcut. To but thinking. only, only, only like like psychologically, like not sure. not mentally, not technique wise. Like, oh yeah, of course. There, there, <laughs> I'm there's, not there's, so, there's so many layers when it comes to that. Yeah, that it's like yeah. I I, 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 I just want to get that across. <laughs> I, I I would go out on a limb and say that too. I would think he would probably be the midway point between those two characters that you know we are. Yeah. We know that we know a whole lot about. So. Yeah. But you know what? At the same time. He's also so original at the same time. There's so much of this guy one minute, he'll be creating this one thing the next. And yet he'll also be distracted, you know, playing a video, the latest video game on, on like his, uh, on his personal computer or something at the same time. Yes. And a video game actually helps him, um, you know, balance himself, which is kind of cool. Exactly. Um, what did you think about the other characters before we, we continue? Well, the other characters, I think what they did was they helped define him more because they made us realize, well, obviously you have the military, which is the big, big bad, hulking military that's using hit, um, employing him to help have him create the latest weapons of war. So obviously you have kind of a distrust of that character from the very beginning when you read the story, and it's quite predictable in that sense, which I think actually makes for a, a real good story right there. But at the same time... You also have what's her name that starts to get into his head that starts to make him realize, hey, maybe, you know, what I'm doing here is not exactly what I should be doing. Yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, kind of nudging him, I guess. Kind of nudging him along. Yeah, exactly. I almost thought of the famous Jurassic Park line when I was th- when I was reading this the first time. Just because we do doesn't mean we should at the same time. Yeah. What, 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 what he was saying. So, yeah, it's... It, it's very character driven. He's still at the center of it, but I think the yeah. other ones help define him all the more. Yes. The more that you read into this narrative. I think the girl and I'm forgetting her name. What is her name? Mira? I think it's Mira, I believe. Yeah. Um, Remember my, my, my memory stretches <laughs> it's hard to stretch almost five it, or six years for me. Yeah, it, no, it's totally fine. Uh and it sucks because I just read it. Um I, I think that she really you know, I, I like the character. She's kind of cool. I love her design. Oh, but, yeah. Know, she's like a companion to me. It doesn't really add 
or at least old companions, because I know in Doctor Who, like, you know, they're very, very, Oh, yeah, because that's what I was important. immediately thinking when you put it like that. I'm like, what? But, uh, you know, yeah, you know, they're very essential to the storyline. But, oh, yeah. um, but, you know, she's kind of like that. She, but she, she has, you know, because they always have a personality. All the companions always have a personality. Exactly. Um, but she just kind of, you know, she's with him and she understands and that's why she's there. Right. But, but still, she's more of like a companion. So she's not a bad character. I, I really like her. I think she's really cool. But, you know, like, I, I, I want to continue reading because one thing, this has really grabbed me. Oh, yeah. And um, I want to get to know her a little bit more because, exactly. you know, I, there has to be more to her. I do love the sergeant. Um, I like all the military people. Um, yeah. uh, the scientist, Sajik. Yes. Which I thought was a, <laughs> it was a good. That was, that was good. That was a good. Uh, that, that was awesome. That's a little bit of inside joke for Top Cow. Oh, um, for sure. So. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really like that. And, um, a little bit of comic relief here too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I think the characters do build him up. Um, there's a bunch of them. Like you obviously know who's going to tear him down, who's trying to tear him down, right? Who's trying to manipulate him and then yep. who's on his side. So I think that's really cool. And, you know, he's a conflicting friend. Um, me, me son or, what if uh, he's an Indian friend, uh, basically his only friend besides yeah. the girl, and uh, a fellow scientist that can't keep up with him. Right. And so he's a cool character because he's so conflicted and he keeps being afraid about being blacklisted and being taken away from his wife and child. Yep. You know, legitimate things where this guy is being an asshole and just be like, well, I would just want freedom. Well, he's not being an asshole because obviously he deserves his freedom. But, you know, he, he doesn't really care but of course, we also don't know because he's ten steps ahead of everybody. That's so maybe, right. So maybe he does really care. And um, if you read the comic, you'll see kind of what happens to that character, and it's really, really interesting. And um, this comic's very well thought out. And, it is. And uh, really that, that's is. one thing that you don't find too much in comics. Uh, in the comics, mostly, but y you can tell when you read like a DC or Marvel. Or, um, you know, like very ongoing that they're just kind of making things up as they go or like how they yeah. did the planning stages and stuff like that. And like this one was just like boom, 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 boom. Well thought out. Oh, yeah. You definitely it's almost like when you're reading. It's almost like when you're reading the actual narrative, you're kind of thinking like, wow, I can almost at least in my mind, I actually envision the outline. The outline that you know yeah. was being made as he was writing this. Um, one thing very I'll, well thought out, very well crafted. Yeah, one thing I want to say about Matt is that um, th that I think he's very very good at is that um, what happens to characters you don't see, and not only like not only do they just like a character will blatantly tell you or something like that, but he has this way of ending a uh, plot hole or or something without like heavy dialogue without showing something you know without showing the event it's just like a choice of words yeah will will describe what happened and yeah. so you know a character like the the indian uh character i'm i'm i feel so bad for not remembering remembering what his name is i know it's also m um and you know just just the fact that he's something you know he's he's gone but that he clears it up really quickly, but the thing is that it's it's not passive. I don't know how to I don't know how to really describe it, but there's certain choice of words. Words speak louder than actions. Within, here, actually, with, yeah, within the um, you know within the dialogue or within the um, the thoughts or the panels, and you understand. And it's really cool, and I've never really gotten that from a comic before. So yeah, um, just no. just just something I observed and that I haven't seen before, and I just want to you know point out that Matt Hawkins has that ability, Definitely. which is fantastic. So exactly. No, no, this is really a no to those, you know, if you're really into an intellectual side of your narrative, then this is the kind of comic for you right here. Well, okay. What do you feel about the, the pace, the tone of the book? The pace was actually perfect. I mean, I, I'm, but then again, you know, me being, you know, one to enjoy, you know, a character development. Actually, I had I th I thought the pacing was not that bad at all. It seemed it seemed pretty much like a a through z pretty much. I mean, yeah, there were skips here and there, but nothing too drastic to where I was totally lost in the story. It was very it was chronological yet it almost 
felt like an Oliver Stone movie at times too, where you saw yeah. a little backtrack here and there, but not too, but not too complicated. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, for me, I, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Um, if, if there's like a boring part of it, it's his, um, the main character's dialogue and, uh, yeah. sassiness kind of, kind of keeps it very entertaining. Yeah. So I don't think that there's too much of a lull into it. I had a no. blast reading. I had a blast reading it today. Um, so oh yeah, it flows. I, it, it does flow. And again, like when it has a lull, it's you know when it gets to a quote unquote boring part, Matt does, has a really good way to um, make the dialogue very entertaining and very grabbing as well. So the events may not be you know they may be kind of boring, but the dialogue and the character development really keeps it going so uh another thing i do want to give him props for um that yeah. a lot of writers it's not that like okay it's not like a lot of a lot of writers i know uh can't do it it's just um you know like having a lull or boring part it's sometimes inevitable or it's well, just yeah it will just happen because there's a lot of stuff that you're and just yet, like i have to include this because it it does affect the story later on well yeah exactly but you know it, it's just it, it's a scene that you really don't want to write or include but you but it is essential and that's what you know well but matt does a really good job as to making sure that you still care and there's still de- uh, character development that's yeah. not too cliche yeah exactly i think in this day and age you have to you have to understand you know your average readers are people that you know they need constant you know stimulus to attention or and, babying you know, or what or babying or something like that, sure. And, you know, that's why so many <laughs> comics nowadays call for action, 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 hitting it as hard as you can in all the pages and the panels that you read. Have and all it, the dialogue, like, hit certain words that intrigue you. Exactly. But you know what? The writing is catered to the audience, where it yeah. should be catered to the audience to think and, you know, to understand as opposed to just being like, this is what you like. Here you go. This is what this is what the character's supposed to say. This is Bat- Mrs. Yeah. Batman. Yeah, exactly. So Exactly. So, yeah, this is definitely something. Here's a if snarky moment if, from if, Iron if, Man. If, if you're if you're opposed to thinking, I wouldn't suggest this book. But this book definitely is something that is very thought-provoking. Yes. And that's what I love out of my comics more than anything, is if it forces you to think, then you've definitely gotten me hooked. Yes. Yes. Think Tank makes you think. It More than think, actually. <laughs> it definitely forces your brain to think like a think tank, actually. Now, what do you think this offers the independent comic industry? This kind of book is good because for the end of, for the indie industry because... One thing that I have noticed in the realm of indie comics, it seems that the, not that I'm saying that this isn't necessarily not fiction, but most books in the the indie industry tend to either lean toward either the superhero genre or the high fantasy genre or science fiction. Well, this actually seems like something that is a realistic story. Depending on the publisher, I'll agree with you, but there's a lot of them that don't rely on that, like Oni Press. Well, their th- well, their thing is post-apocalyptic, almost. Sometimes, yeah. So you know, it depends on what particular thing was. I mean, you could see it here and there. This kind of book seems like this could be your average Joe kind of thing that could be working at the Pentagon right now. Yes, and yet it would deal with real life events. Yes, this is something that looks like you know, you could read about it almost like you would read about it in a newspaper or a biography. Yeah, more like a biography, maybe not a newspaper. It's not very... um, The thing about it is what I was thinking, that it couldn't be written as a book. You have to visualize it. To to me, you have to to see it, because the thing is that there are so many things going on. Well, yeah. Like, you know, an invisible jet, you know, or a jet, you know... Stuff well, like that. It, well, even just the look of Dr. David Lauren himself. Now, the way that he is drawn in the book by Rashawn Ekadal, that's not how I would have envisioned David Lauren at all had it been like an, in a regular novel format. And, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm, I mean, you know, Matt, Matt Hawkins has written novels, and I'm sure, you know. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that he's phenomenal. I mean, just judging from how, he, how he'd written this comic and other, yeah. other things that I have read from him. The man can write, like yes. I, oh my god, and like I, I'm I've never read his novels, but I'm sure that they're phenomenal. But this is one of those ones 
you need visualization. Yes. This is something that deserves to be a comic, a TV show, or something. It has to be visual. God, would that not make an incredible TV show? If this they were would to make do a that. fantastic, fantastic TV show. But it kind of reminds me of Person of Interest. I'm not gonna lie. Um, anyway, <laughs> anyway, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, but okay, so um, what I think this offers the independent comic industry is that this is to me, this is honestly saga on Earth. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. As much as people love Saga, including me, um, it's fantastic. But the thing is that sometimes it gets a little too crazy. Um, sometimes they're just a little too out there, and I feel like there's a lot of you know plot holes. I'm sure that are going to be filled later on. But this is one of those ones again. Like I was saying with his writing, I I, I think I prefer Think Tank. I think I'm grabbed more by Think Tank now. Yeah. Emotionally, Saga has me hooked. Oh, absolutely. Of this one makes me think. This one makes me, you know, like want more. You know, it, it makes and it's just a really, 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 um, you know, adventurous read. So it just makes me just want to keep going, and I can't even think about what comes up next. Like with Saga, sometimes you can see what's going to come up. This one makes you, you know. You don't understand the character, you know. No, he, you 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 see who he is, but you still don't understand him, and that's yeah. another. And that is another thing that that comics that in most comics and one can argue get and you one can argue get. even up to this point, even in how he's written right now, that Lauren is still kind of like a mysterious. He, he's a mystique that you can't really figure him out. Yeah, and I think that was intentional by Matt Hawkins to do that. If you read a comic and you get a first volume. 99% of the time, you're going to know exactly who the character is, what they're going to do, what they have up their sleeve, and who they are. Yeah. We still have no idea what he's capable of. Because again, seen... because, again, he's only doing a partial of things that he's been basically having in the back of his mind for 14 years. 14, and you know what? Years. That actually makes me um, come full circle what I was going to say about what does this provide the comic book industry with regard to indie comics. Well, you know what? David Lauren is Matt Hawkins's creation. He created that character. This kind of thing is the very epitome of how creator-owned type work is supposed to be. Yes. And you know what? We still don't know. We we think we may know a good deal about David Lauren, but you know what? We really don't. We don't yeah. know how unpredictable he is going to be. And as the story unfolds, we'll just see more of just who he is. And if we think we know the true story, well... We may have a volume later on that'll just totally challenge our entire opinion about what we had before. Yep. And that is what this kind of book helps provide for the indie industry and help, helps keep it relevant to the modern day readership. Exactly. Um, okay. And uh, the last question is Is this a comic that you would recommend people to read if they have not yet read indie comics? Or what, how would you describe this comic to somebody else? who is reading Andy comics. In a way, I think I almost kind of answered this earlier, but in my opinion, this is probably not a book that I would have somebody who is starting out in independent comics read because the very sheer intellectual nature of, of the writing style could throw off somebody, I think. And, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but if I was to say, you know, hey, if somebody who is used to reading your DC and your Marvel and all about that stuff and, you know, they're going to want to get into independent comics and they, they were going to suggest, I would probably not suggest Think Tank to them because yeah. that would just, if they were to read something like that, I think they would get too darn confused. They would get too frustrated, I think. And I think they would just turn, uh, uh, run with their tail between their legs and go back to DC or Marvel, actually. exactly. This really challenges you to think, just like we said. So I don't think I would recommend it to someone who is wanting to get into independent type of comics. However, I do suggest that it is the type of book that is perfect for a reader who doesn't necessarily have to be on the intellectual side, but is willing to at least critically think about what is going on and try to look inside the deeper symbolism of what David Lauren, the character and what he is doing is relevant to the world that you are living in right now, because it is very much, I think a parable of modern, modern uh, 
uh, of modern post nine eleven United States kind of political arena right now. Yeah, um, I I have to agree with you. I don't. I think that if you were going to get somebody else or yourself into independent comic books, uh, this is not a good comic book for you to start with. Uh, a lot of people urge, and a lot of people really try to get people to read Saga to get into independent comics, which I also disagree with. But the yeah. thing is that it's the sensation right now. Sure. And if you do get into comics through Saga, read until about volume three, <laughs> and then jump over to the Think Tank, because then you'll have a feel of intellectual, of yeah. of this kind of, of what the story can offer in an adventurous sort of way. And then this will give you something that's completely different for you to understand and a little, I guess a little bit of independent enlight, enlightenment, I would it say. It is. Yeah, it's very enlightening, so actually. It, it it sounds kind of cheesy, but that that's kind of something that this book does, and it does it really, really well, and what I think it would do for somebody who is relatively new to, to independent comics. Um, it sucks to say that because this comic is amazing. I, I know. I, I suggest anybody who reads comics to read it, but the thing is, is that you also have to understand that the mass audience is mostly based off of DC or Marvel. And well, yeah, exactly. And they don't really get anything like this unless they yeah. read something like Mark Wade. <laughs> if you read like, like a Mark Wade book, like, um, yeah. the man, you know, like the daredevil run that he did, uh, man without fear. Yeah. Um, you know, I know, um, kingdom come and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, I think that that would be a good way for you to kind of jump into this because, well, yeah, but you know, the, the problem is, is the majority of readers, at least that, you know, aren't really into it. They don't really go by writers, in yeah. my opinion. I think they go either by title or they go by publisher. But when you're a more sophisticated type of audience, you tend to lean toward the authors that you tend yeah. to know. Exactly. Now, someone, if they're reading Mark Wade, yeah, they'll make the jump from Kingdom Come in DC and then go to uh, Man Without Fear, Daredevil Run. But then they'll eventually go to something like Irredeemable or something like that. And That's many true. Of the, many of the independent works that he has done. The thing is, Matt Hawkins, at least to my knowledge, he never has worked for for the big two. He's always been no. just hired by DC. Yeah. He's been he's been part of Image for Image, almost twenty five years. Yep, now. Top cow. Um, yeah. So so you know, unless you know you've been with you know, if you've been looking at Image for at least almost twenty five years now, and you're not familiar with them, it's kind of hard to go on that kind of uh, um, assumption of what to read and what not to. Agreed. All right. Anything else we just uh anything else before we go? This book is just totally amazing right here and you know like I said perfect dental, perfect book for the intellectual mind forces you to think and uh you know we don't often go to p- political type talks here but you know it is a very political book as well. Yes. And that's what I think is very very effective about it as well. And I absolutely agree. Cool. Thanks for listening in. Our podcasts are available on iTunes and any other podcast app. And, of course, our website, thegrandgeekgathering.com. We have articles, video series, and other podcasts available for you to enjoy. While you are there, go ahead and contact us. We would love to hear from you. You can stay updated on our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Also, we stream on Twitch. And the music has been provided by bensound.com. And you can buy Think Tank at your local comic book shop. Go to topcow.com you know, to go ahead and give them, you know, the money, which is always great. Yes. You know, support your publishers. Yes. But, uh, of course, support your local business, uh, comic book businesses. And it's also available on Amazon and other websites as well. So come and join the gathering. Have a great week. And GGG. Yeah, think, think. Think, 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 think.